continuing with what we started, Psalms 27, we're going to look at verse number one, and we're going to continue on to verse number four uh, for now. Bible says this in the book of in the book of uh, of Psalms, chapter twenty-seven, right? A Psalm of David: The Lord is my light and my salvation; whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life; of whom shall I be afraid? Amen. When the wicked, even mine enemies, and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fail. Though a host should rot in camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Amen. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire, amen, and to inquire in his temple. Amen. Um, let's get back into this. We've been talking about uh, godly goals. I'm really excited for today. This is really going to, um, I, I believe this is a really going to be an exciting uh, lesson. Uh, for some of you, um, um, hopefully for all, all of you, but uh, today we're actually going to touch on a few things in order to uh, bring out uh, some, uh, uh, some clarity of the scripture. Uh, most of you, uh, well, many of you or many folks have never actually heard anyone um, use or any of the uh, deuterocanical books or also known as the Apocrypha. Uh, in any teaching. You've never, a lot of people have never actually had the opportunity to hear any of that. And, uh, and, it, and, it, and it so happens that in the study that we actually need to cross that way in order to make um, a couple points and to bring some things out. So this is actually really exciting and I'm, 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 I'm excited to be able to, uh, to share this um, with you so that you can get a, get a more full picture of what God is saying. So that's something that's actually coming. We're talking about characteristics of godly goals, amen. Now we are, uh, when we, uh, last week we talked about this uh, from we, the, uh, the fifth characteristic, okay? As we um, deal with, uh, as we deal with godly goals, okay? And in dealing so with that, this fifth characteristic, we said that they require commitment. All, and we said that we, we see this from the phrase in Psalms 27 in that fourth verse, where we begin to see that, um, or uh, is when we see the phrase, all the days of my life, all the days, look at that, that, that time increment. David said, one thing have I desired, that will I seek after. So I'm not going after everything, I'm going after a single thing. And we talked all about that, and so we won't retread that um, today, there are plenty of previous lessons that actually go over that. And he says, that will I seek after. And then he gives us a reason here. And he says, that I may dwell, amen, in the house of the Lord. And he says, but, and he says, all the days of my life. So not only do I want to dwell in the house of the Lord, amen. Not only do I want to dwell in 
the house of the Lord. But he tells us how long I want to do this. Is this temporary? Is this, is this, is this just for a moment of time? What, what is it that you're actually looking to, to achieve, David? What is it that you, this goal, what is your, what is, what is, what is your goal? And, and David um, plainly makes it uh, clear to us that, that the goal wasn't something temporary, it wasn't something to just happen um, today and then all of a sudden it was going to be, uh, it was going to dis disappear. No, this, this goal of his obviously was a heartfelt one. And it was something that he was committed to. He said, all the days of my life. He said, I wanted something that I was going to be committed to. I'm committing to it. I, I, I want this. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And we learned quite a few things. We learned that God com uh, commands commitment. We learned that in Deuteronomy chapter seven and nine in Deuteronomy 10, uh, 12 through 13. We learned that God sees obedience to his commands as a sign of commitment. You got Deuteronomy 11 and 13 and Deuteronomy 11 and 22, amen. God sees obedience to his commands as a sign of commitment. And that's very important. We also learn that love and worship are seen also as signs of commitment. We see that in Deuteronomy 30 and six, and then we see it again in Joshua 23 and 11. And I invite you all to make sure that you, uh, that you go back and you check these scriptures, that you look at them and read them for yourself. Sometimes we will go over it, but then there will be times where um, where I'll just give you those scriptures and what will be needed is for you to go ahead and take a look at that. All right. We also learned that there are, guess what, some benefits to commitment. We learned this and we talked about this uh, at length on last, uh, last week. Okay. Um, Second Chronicles 16 and 9 tells us or shows us that there's strength to be had. Okay. We gain, God will strengthen you against your enemies when you are committed to him. When there is a commitment to God, God will strengthen you or make it so that you appear strong to your enemies. Okay. You know, there's nothing, you know, there, 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 there is nothing gives a greater pause or moment of reflection to the enemy than the image of strength. When the enemy doesn't matter who, who it is, what it is, when the enemy begins to come against you, brothers and sisters, one thing that, you know, enemies love is weakness. But one thing that they fear is strength. And that's why this is such a wonderful and a heavy blessing and a, uh, and a, and a very important benefit to know that comes along with commitment. God literally causes you to appear strong before the enemy. Okay. And whenever you appear strong before the enemy, okay, when you don't look like a pushover, when you don't look like they just going to blow on you and you're just going to fall over at the, at the slightest thing that when, when, when they, when they see that I'm, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm in for an uphill battle. This thing might, might be, might require a little bit more than I'm willing to invest. When the enemy begins to see that strength, the enemy gets a moment of pause. Amen. 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 So that's a wonderful thing that God gives us. Proverbs 16 and three tells us also that it shows us that another benefit of being committed to God is guess what? He causes your plans, your thoughts and your ideas to work out. Amen. 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 That is wonderful, 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 wonderful stuff. He causes your plans to work out. Okay. Causes your thoughts and your ideas 
to, to work, those things that you're desiring, where you're going with it. God causes those things literally to work out in your favor. Exodus 19, 5, um, 5 and 6. Uh, when we read this, amen, we find that another benefit of, of being committed to God is, is that God grants you preferred status or you, or you gain preferred status with God. And, that, and that's really wonderful. And in fact, I actually will read that because Exodus 19, five, uh, 5 and 6 says, Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, look at what he's calling, calling for obedience, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of what? Priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. When you, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to be committed to God. Be committed to God. Be faithful to God. Because when you are faithful to God, I want you to understand, God don't see you the same as everybody else, as this world. No, you are not just another person in a long line of other people. No, not at all. When you are committed, when I'm committed to the Lord, then I gain favor with God. And that's really what we're talking about. All of that Exodus 19, 5 and 6, that's really showing, talking about that favor that God gives. But God doesn't give that favor just to anybody. And unfortunately, sad as it is, there are a lot of people, they want the favor of God, okay? And the favor of God is simply the approval of God. You got people who want the favor of God. They want the approval of God, but they want it sans obedience to God. So they want it without or minus the obedience to God. You can't have God and your way too. And when we as we go further, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that and we'll see that a little bit more. We also learn 1 Samuel 12, 14, another benefit is that your community will be blessed. The community gets blessed when we are commit, committed. And followers and, and, and leaders are blessed themselves. However, in order for the leaders to be blessed, the community as a whole will be able to take advantage of or experience the blessing or that, that, that God confers upon you. But leaders are also responsible for themselves to make sure they are in compliance. So there is a level of blessing that they, lead, lead, that they will experience because you are being blessed, okay? It's like an overflow. It's a waterfall because you are blessed and God's gonna bless the work of your hands. God's gonna bless your, your ideas. And we, we just talked about that and we learned that in Proverbs uh, 16 and three. As a fact, matter of fact, we might as well just go ahead and read it. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall what? Be established. Amen. So not only when we're going back down to Samuel here, 12 and 14 or whatever, the community will be blessed and communities are blessed. Whenever there are children of God in a community that are obedient to God, you have to, children of God carry with them the favor the, or the endorsement and the blessings of God. So when they interact within the community, because he or she, that child of God, is in line with God, they're not at odds with God, they're not at war with God, okay? So that means they're not living in sin and trying to get away with secret sin and presumptuous, they're not doing that. 
These brothers and sisters are living accordingly to the word of God. And because they are living accordingly and they are adhering to the word of God, God blesses them everywhere that they go. Now, when you go, it is inevitable that you are going to come in contact with other people who are not of the household of faith or others who are not saved. So you still have to conduct your business within the community. But because you are blessed, you carry the blessing of God with you. And therefore, those that interact with you are also blessed. They get some of the runoff, even leaders. However, there is an extra layer of blessing or level of blessing to be had of the leaders or by the leaders if the leaders themselves will get in line with God's will. If God, if a leader will get in line with the word and the will of God, God will bless his administration. God will bless that leadership. Amen. So that's good to know. Another benefit that we learned, 2 Kings 2, uh, 2 through 4, is, is that covenant blessings, when you are committed to God and you stay committed to God, covenant blessings will continue to apply to you. And that is extremely, extremely, extremely important. Covenant blessings, there are aspects of the covenant or blessings that come along with the covenant that are conditional. You do not just get those blessings simply because you are in the covenant. By being in the covenant, you have you are eligible to receive those blessings. You, you are authorized to receive those blessings because we are in covenant with God. But God has laid out when we read the covenant, we read about the covenant, and it doesn't matter. You can, you, you can see it from the old covenant. You can see it in the new covenant. As you read and go through those things, you see, amen, that there are blessings that are conditional. So they are predicated upon your behavior and what you do. So if you want God to do certain things, if I want God to do certain things, if I want God to move certain ways, I'm not going to experience that moving. I'm not going to get that blessing. All of that is going to be null and void if I am disobedient to the will of God. If I want those blessings, those terms of the covenant to apply to me and manifest in my life, then guess what? I got I to I gotta keep my end of the bargain because a covenant is a contract. Amen. So that means I got some things I got to do. But uh, the, uh, another, um, one of the benefits can be seen in Psalms 97.10, deliverance from wickedness. Another uh, benefit can be seen in Isaiah 1 and 19, the ability to have your needs met. Amen. When you are committed to God, when you are committed to God, which simply really means that you're doing what he says. You're not somewhere, I'm not somewhere off in the corner somewhere or, or maybe out in the open just trying to live contrary to the word of God. No, what am I doing? I'm trying to the best of my ability adhere. I'm, I'm following, I'm obeying what the word of God is teaching. I'm going along with what God is teaching. And because I am in obedience to what God is teaching and what God has delivered to me, then I have those benefits of deliverance from wickedness. And I have those, uh, that, the, that, the, the, those benefits of 
of having my needs met. And then we also learned that another, another benefit to being obedient to God's word is, is that God, when you are obedient or when you are committed, commitment will cause God to restore lost fellowship. Jeremiah 26, 13 says this, therefore, now amend your ways and your doings. I mean, get it right. That's what he's saying. It means get it right. Therefore, now amend your ways and your doings. And what? Obey the voice of the Lord, your God. Not somebody else's God, your God. And the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against thee, meaning against you, meaning he'll change his mind, meaning that God was set, getting set to punish you. God's getting set to have to deal with you. But God is saying, if you will change your ways, glory to God, I thank the Lord for the avenue, the vehicle, the blessing that is repentance that he has made available to us. Because here's the thing, brothers and sisters, you, you, at, at some point, we tend, we get off track for various reasons and under various circumstances. There are times where we get off track. We start coloring outside the lines, if you will. The word of God provides the framework and everything that we need, and this is what we're supposed to be doing. However, for one reason or another, we get sidetracked. Maybe we get our eyes caught up on the world. Maybe we start paying too much attention to worldly things. Maybe we start letting carnality, um, which is worldliness, start to creep into our homes and, and into our conversations and into our relationships and all of these different things. But for one reason or another, we begin to get sidetracked. And you have to understand something. The nature of sin is that it drives a wedge between you and God, okay? When I sin... And every time I sin, okay, that sin puts up a barrier between me and God. That barrier makes it so that I cannot experience the totality or the fullness of the blessings that God has for me. Why? Because sin, in essence, is shot blocking. I'm trying to go up for the shot. And every time I get ready to go up, sin just swats it. I, I, can't, I can't make no shot. I can't do anything. I can't accomplish anything. Because God, no matter how you slice it, no matter how you dice it, brothers and sisters, God's never going to bless mess. He, he, he didn't bless it from the beginning. And he's not going to bless it now. There's no version of living contrary to the word of God and the will of God where God is going to bless you. No, sin drives a wedge between you and God, between me and God. It will always separate us so that we cannot have fellowship, so that we cannot come together. But the beauty of Jeremiah 26 and 13 and the beauty of this wonderful benefit that comes along with being commitment, which is the fifth characteristic that we're talking about, that beauty is, is, that, is, is that there is the opportunity to have that fellowship that is lost 
and hindered because of disobedience, there is the possibility to have it restored. When the Bible says, therefore, now amend your ways and your doing and obey the voice of the Lord, he's telling you to repent. He's telling me that you got to repent and that if you will do these things, if you will turn fully and absolutely away from the things that are wrong and unto the things that are right, glory to God, God Almighty will bless. And it will cause him, if you've lost that fellowship, it will cause him to restore that lost fellowship. Amen. That's what it means when he says, I will, he says, I will repent. He will, the Lord will repent him of the evil that he had pronounced against you. That meant God is getting ready to punish you. But because you changed, because you amended, because you repented, because you got right the way God wants you to get right, it means that God has stayed his hand. God has chosen not to punish you. God has chosen to give you another chance. Amen. Now, another thing that we learn about this, so those are the benefits, those kind of, those, uh, and, and, there, and there, are, uh, there are more benefits uh, to that, but those eight are the ones that we, that we talked about. But as we move forward and further into this, amen, it's important for us to know something and to understand something, okay? God, this fifth characteristic is, is that these godly goals and God-centered goals require commitment to God. But you must also understand that God is not looking for the casually committed. Amen. That's very, that, that, that God is not, God wants you to be committed. And as you've already seen, and as we already talked about, there are, there are many blessings, many benefits that come along with a life that is committed to God. We only touched on eight of them, but there are a lot more benefits. And with these benefits that come along with it, we have every reason, every bit of encouragement necessary to want to be committed especially when you think of all these things that God gives us as a result of being committed to him. But even with that, God does not want you to look at those things and have the mindset, oh, you know, I'm gonna get what I can get as quickly as I can get. And then I'm gonna get on and then I'm gonna move, move on and I'm gonna do what I wanna do and go back to living the way. No, God is not looking for those who are casually committed. If you look at, Luke chapter nine, verses 23 through 25, the Bible says this, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose it, lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man, for what is a man advantage? If he gained the whole world and lose himself or be cast away, amen. That's, 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 some, that's, some, heavy, that's some heavy stuff. That's some heavy stuff just right there. He says, you got to bear that cross daily. You got to hold to this thing daily. Temporary, brothers and sisters, it'll never do. It's not enough. God is looking for someone who's going to be committed for the long haul. 
When you look at Luke chapter 14, verse 26 through 27, this is hammered on even further. Look at it. If any man come unto me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whatsoever and whoso and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, the Lord obviously wasn't telling you to actually go around and hate anyone in that scripture, but the context of that when we study that reveals that what he's telling you or the, the, and the point that he's making is, is that your commitment to God got to be so strong, so absolute, so above and beyond your commitment to everybody else and everyone else that if your commitment to everybody else was compared against your commitment to God, your commitment to God would be so strong and so airtight that it make everything else look like hate. That's literally what that, what that scripture is talking about. It, it, that, that, that everything else, not just for everyone else, but notice what he said, and his own life also. That means you can't love your way more than you love God's way and more than you love God. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. God has to be number one. So much so that when he is number one, you are willing even to sacrifice or sideline what you personally want to do because it's more important that you adhere to what God wants you to do. That's hard for some people to hear because what that is literally telling you when he says, you know, hey, brother, mother, father, and everybody else, and he says, yay, and his own life also, he's telling you this, guess what? If you're going to follow me, it ain't just that everybody else that you got to put on the back burner, but you got to put yourself on the back burner. And there's a whole lot of people and a whole lot of us that struggle because, well, let's, we, not gonna, we refuse to not be number one. But you can't have you and God. Amen. You can't have you and God. Now, let's move a bit further. Let's get into the sixth characteristic of godly goals or God-centered goals. And when we get into this area, this sixth category, this sixth char characteristic of godly goals or God-centered goals, it is the category of holiness. And I absolutely love, love, love this topic, holiness. Amen. The sixth characteristic is that of holiness because godly goals, God-centered goals require, if you want to receive it, if you want to, if you want to be that recipient and actually want to get that and partake of that god-centered goals or godly goals cannot be achieved outside or devoid of holiness amen holiness when we start talking about holiness amen holiness is being pure clean undefiled un spotted. Uh, it has elements of sanctification in it or being separated and dedicated to God, but, but it's 
purity, the, 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 the analogy or word picture that we can use would be that of a glass of water, and then you put some food coloring in it. The water's pure and clear at first, but as soon as you introduce that food coloring or something into it, it begins to, it's still water, right? But it begins, but it's no longer pure. It's become tainted. It now has other things in it. Holiness, all right, when we start talking about it, is that purity. It's that water, so to speak, without any impurities hidden within it, okay? It is, it is, it is, it, 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 it's clean. There's no shadow. There's no shade. There's no variances. In holiness, there is no gray area. Amen. Glory to God. There's no gray area in holiness. And God, when we start talking about holiness, there's some things that we need to first understand. Holiness predates the law. Amen. Now, a lot of people are not introduced to this concept or the teaching of holiness until they start seeing it or reading it in the law. So it's not until they start getting into the books of, of Leviticus and so on and so forth and where God's requiring us to be holy and all these other sorts of things. That's usually people's first introduction into this requirement. That's when they start to become acquainted with this concept or the idea that we are supposed to be holy. Okay, so a lot of people look at holiness or the requirement of holiness. Now, I want you to understand God's always been holy. Now, when we talk about holiness on, for us, okay, holiness as it applies to us, God's always been holy. There was never no time where God was not holy. God has all, always was, always is, and always will be holy. Amen. Amen for that. But, but a lot of us, when we start talking about holiness as it pertains to us, our first introduction to Holiness usually comes in the form of us being told to be holy because God is holy and so on and so forth. And we see that in Leviticus and so on and so forth. So we start to see that in conjunction with the law, okay? Or in other words, the law kind of starting to first make that uh, apparent in the context or when we start to see the law emerge, that's when we start around, that's when we really start to see in earnest the, uh, this, this requirement of holiness, but you actually see it before then, amen. You actually see it before then. It's just that most people are exposed to it a little bit later, usually in the context of the law or in that period. But holiness actually predates the law. Amen. Amen. It actually predates the law, just like tithing predates the law. Amen. Just like the Ten Commandments, the truth of the Ten Commandments, the, those, the, which is often known as the moral law, that also predates the law meaning that God required that, that these things were put into effect, okay? These things were authorized by God before they were ratified. What do you mean? Before they were actually put down, uh, uh, you know what I'm saying, formally, before they were written down, it was already there, amen? Glory to God, and that's good to know. Holiness predates the law. Now, before the law was made known or it was given to us, Okay. There was a way or a walk or a lifestyle that was pleasing to God. So before we start getting into the Levitical period and all these different things and where we start to see these requirements and requests to be holy, holiness already existed. And the requirement 
of it was already there. Before the law was made known, there was a way or a walk or a lifestyle that was pleasing to God. Because when we, and this is important, why? Because when we start talking about holiness as it pertains to us, you are talking about your walk. You are talking about your way. You are talking about your lifestyle or manner of living. And so there was an acceptable way of living that existed or was revealed in scripture before you start seeing it in the period of the law. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. We are first introduced to this way, this walk, this lifestyle, this preferred lifestyle of God that God wants or that, that God had pleasure in. We are first exposed to it, okay? Or we start to be exposed to it. You really start to be exposed to it with Adam because Adam walked with, with, with God. It's, it, that, that, that's a first, you really, you really, you really start to, to see it, to see it there. And then you also begin to see little elements of it in Abel. Okay. When he's, when he's, when he's, uh, when he's, 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 he's sacrificing unto God and he has a sacrifice that is acceptable unto God. So you, you, you really start to see little elements of, of, of holiness there, but where you really, really start to see this way emerge. Okay. You really start to see it emerge through the narrative of Enoch. So when you start dealing with Enoch is where you really start to see it emerge. Genesis uh, 5, 19 through 14, amen, um, says this. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years and he died and Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God. Notice that language. He what? Walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. And we know those of us who are in the Bible, this, when he says God took him, he's referring to the, uh, the translation of Enoch. Now, what that means is, is, is that Enoch is a person who did not see death, okay? Enoch was a type, amen, amen, uh, was, a, uh, was a, 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 a type in the Old Testament, amen. And so Enoch, did not see death. God took him or translated, meaning God took him directly to heaven. He didn't go through, he didn't, he didn't die. No, he, like, like he didn't do that. God, God translated him. And that's what is being referred to or referenced here when you look at it in the book of Genesis chapter five, verse, uh, uh, verses 19 through 24. Okay. He, he walked with God. And remember, it's in the narrative of Enoch that you start to see the narrative through that narrative that you start, that we start to really be introduced to this way or this walk or this lifestyle because Enoch walked in it so much so that he was translated. He walked, that God took him. Amen. Amen. Now, 
if you take it and go to Hebrews, amen, and 11 and 5, because we're building upon this. And I also told you, we're also going to be looking into uh, uh, some of the uh, Deuterocanical books. And amen, I'm excited about that. And we're just about there. But if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 says this, by faith, Enoch was translated that he what should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Amen. 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 He was not found because God had translated him for he for before his translation, now I want you to notice this, watch the language here, before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God, amen. He had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. But the question is, is this. So in Genesis, we see, we start to see that there's a way, there's a walk. And Enoch was walking that walk. So much so that God translated him. And then you get to, and then that's all you hear about it. Then you move to Hebrews. And Hebrews says, that tells us that he walked by faith. And God translated. Hebrews adds a little bit more to the narrative or to the picture. And, 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 and tells us that he walked by faith. And as a result of that, Enoch was translated, that he should not see death. And he was not found. But Hebrews tells us something very peculiar. He says, for God had translated, he says, but he says, for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Amen. He had this testimony that he pleased God. The question is, is where is that testimony? And a lot of people don't never stop and realize that. And they, we see it in Genesis. And then the narrative is picked up again in Hebrews. But the writer of Hebrews plainly says before he was translated, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Well, where is that testimony? Where, did, where is that testimony? Is that te where do we read that testimony that he pleased God? Where do we see that? And I'm glad you asked. This testimony, believe it or not, is actually there. It, but where you actually see that is in the Deuterocanical books. It is mentioned a couple times in there. And in order to demonstrate that to you, or show that to you, it is found in the Deuterocanical book called the Wisdom of Solomon. Amen. And chapter four, verses 10 through 14, read this. This is where that you have that testimony. Verse starting at verse 10, he pleased God and was beloved of him so that living among sinners, he was translated. Yea, speedily was he taken away, lest that wickedness should alter his understanding or deceit beguile his soul. 
for the bewitching of naughtiness. That means the seducing of uncleanness or wickedness. That's what that naughtiness means. Amen. Doth obscure things that are honest. And the wandering of concupiscence, that means lust and uh, that, uh, that lustful behavior, doth undermine the simple mind. He being made perfect in a short time, fulfilled a long time. For his soul pleased the Lord. Therefore hasted he, that means God got about his business. Therefore hasted he to take him away from among the wicked. Amen. And a lot of people didn't know that that was there. When Hebrews is talking about, when the writer is talking about, we had this testimony. What testimony are you talking about? Where is that? Yeah, it's in the book, book called The Wisdom of Solomon. The, it's a deuterocanonical book, and these are one of the books that were written in the, between the New Testament and the Old Testament. So these are intertestamental period books. Amen. These are the books that bridge the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so in the New Testament, where he's talking about, we have this testimony, that testimony that he's talking about is actually found in the wisdom of Solomon. But not only there, it's also found in the book of Sarah, or what is also known as the book of Ecclesiasticus, not Ecclesiastes, but Ecclesiasticus. Amen. And in Ecclesiasticus, chapter 44, verse 16, you read this. Enoch pleased the Lord and, the, and was translated being an example of repentance to all generation, meaning that the life that, that Enoch lived, that was the desired life. That was the desired walk, the way he walked. Remember, I told you it's in Enoch, in the narrative of Enoch, that you begin to see the manifestation of this way that pleases God, because we're talking about holiness, and we said that holiness predates the law. Glory to God. Amen, amen, holiness predates the law. And so when we start dealing with that, we really start to see this thing kick off in earnest when we start to look at and examine the narrative of Enoch. And in, 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 in book of Ecclesiasticus or Sarah 44 and 16, yet again, we have that same witness, what? Enoch pleased the Lord and was translated being an example of repentance to all generation. Amen. That's heavy because the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter is established. So now you see it not just in the intertestamental books, but you see it twice. Amen. Glory to God. It's mentioned again or talked about in again, also again in the book of Ecclesiasticus or the book of, of Sarah. Amen. In Sarah chapter 49, verse 40, verses 14, which reads, but upon, amen, glory to God, but upon the earth was no man created like Enoch, for he was taken from the earth. And that confirms yet again, the translation. So as you can see that there's a way that starts to emerge. There was a way, there was something about this walk. There was something about the way Enoch moved. There was something about the way Enoch lived that God took Enoch. There was something about it. And when we stop long enough to begin to pay attention, what you are actually looking at is the manifestation or the bringing out or the revealing of what is actually would be known as the way of holiness. But we'll get to that in just a moment. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. Amen. The way begins to be further revealed. Amen. The, this way begins to be further revealed as you progress from Enoch and now you move into Noah. Amen. And so when you get to Genesis, and I would, I invite you to, to, to turn to that, to, to Genesis chapter six and nine. Look at what the Bible says. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. And Noah, what did he do? Walked with God. Now, when we get to Noah, we add a little bit more to this emerging, or we see a little bit more about the emerging of this requirement of holiness as it manifests in the Old Testament, and it manifests prior to the law. Holiness or the requirement. Now, God's always holy. So we're not talking about God became, was holy before, just, we're not, we're not trying to establish that, oh, God was holy before the law. God was always holy. We're not talking about God's holiness per se. We're talking about holiness as it is required of us. And this requirement of holiness as it pertains to us, this requirement predates the law. That's what we're getting into. This requirement, you begin to see it established and to be revealed in the Old Testament. And when you, you see it even more clearly with Noah, these are in Genesis 6 and 9, reading it again. These are the generations of Noah that Je Noah was what? A just man. Stick a pen in jest. And perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. Now, what just happened? He revealed when he said he was a just man and perfect in his generation. What the writer is in revealing here is the manner in which Noah walked. Glory to God. He's now describing the walk. I love this. I, I love this. I love this. Now, I told you to stick a pen in it. Told you to stick a pen in, 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 in Genesis 6 and 9. Amen. Because two words. I want you to look at the word just. Amen. Just when we define it, the sense of it means, refers to righteousness, amen. And it's characterized by or proceeding from accepted standards of morality or justice, okay? So it's what he means when we start talking about just, because he says, the Bible says, Noah was a just man. That means, his, that means he was accepted. That means his standards of morality or his, 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 his method or his, his outlook, his belief of God, his, 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 his rules by which he governed himself or by which he walked. What he's saying is, is that it was pleasing to God. Amen. Now, if you look at the word, the next word, perfect, because it didn't say that he, it didn't just say he was just, but it also said that Noah was perfect. And when you look at that perfect, perfect also means or equals, it really is the same as saying blameless. And when you talk about blameless, the idea that's being conveyed here is that of free of guilt, not subject to blame or you're blameless or blamelessness. It's, it, 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 when we say perfect, it means complete or completeness. It means I'm unscathed. I mean, I ain't got a, I ain't got a scratch on it. Okay, it means it's intact. That means it's it's whole, blameless. It's 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 blameless. You can't lay any 
charge against it. It's without fault. It's it, it's faultless. It's free of of blemish. There's no there's no dirt. There's nothing on it. It's impeccable. It it, 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 is, it is it's honest. It's devout. Uh, it's 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 full of integrity. It's it's healthy. It's it's well behaved. It it, it, it it's civilized. It's guiltless. It's without sin. Upright, honest, perfect. That's what it meant. It literally meant to be without sin. It meant to be pure. That's what's being talked about. That, 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 and that purity, glory to God, glory to God. That purity is holiness. Amen. That purity is holiness. And God-centered goals require and demand holiness. See, in addition to all of this, before the law, was made known to man the requirements for holiness had already been given to man. So before you see it formally stated, be holy, God was already requiring it from the very beginning. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. And we see this when we look at Abraham in Genesis, amen, when we look at Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, and I want you to look at verse number one, and when Abram, so before his name was changed, all right, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, notice the language, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. This is the same perfection that he's talking about, the same per perfection that was first seen with Noah, that same perfection. It was that perfection. It was that which got God's attention with Enoch. That was the walk. That was the way. That was the thing that God had pleasure in, glory to God. I love it. Don't you just love God's word, how it just all ties together? Amen, amen, amen. And when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me, what? And be thou perfect. What was he calling for? Holiness. Brothers and sisters, God was calling for holiness. Amen, 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 amen. God was calling for holiness. The way of God or this walk or this lifestyle, brothers and sisters, this lifestyle, amen, this walk before God actually has a name. We have traditionally called it Christianity and a bunch of other different things. So call it apostolic. Some call it being Pentecostal. Some name it after uh, different denominations and all kinds of different things. God don't recognize none of that. The word don't, re don't recognize none of that. God actually does have a, a, a way, a, a, does, God actually does refer to this and God does actually have a title to this. And you see it in Isaiah chapter 35. And I want you to turn Isaiah 35 and we're gonna look at verses four through eight because in it, we're talking about the promise 
of Jesus Christ, amen, and what he was going to do and what he was going to bring in. Verse number four of Isaiah chapter 35, verse, uh, starting at verse four and going through verse eight says, say unto them that are of a fearful heart, be strong and fear not. I'm telling that to somebody, be strong. I know it looks weird out there in society and stuff going on, but you be strong. Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Look at that prophecy. Whoo, that, that, that'll preach there just that alone. God is the Savior. God is the Savior. It wasn't here that he was going to send somebody else to save you. No, 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 no. God was coming himself. He said he will come and save you. And that's who Jesus is. That's God coming to save you. Glory to God. And if we repent of our sins and we are baptized in the name of Jesus and he fills us with the Holy Ghost, we can be and we will absolutely be saved. But that's what you got to do. Got to repent of those sins. Got to turn from sin and unrighteousness. And you got to turn to God. You got to be baptized in his name. And you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And he says, he will come and save you. Verse number five. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. This is referring to the ministry. Notice that these things he's talking about are the things that Jesus did when he came. He opened up blind eyes and, 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 and he opened up deaf ears. And then shall the lame man leap as a heart. That didn't, didn't he cause the lame to walk? Amen. This is a prophecy, I'm telling you. And the tongue of the dumb to sing. For in the wilderness, look at this, shall waters break out and streams in the desert and the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of dragons where, where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. Look at verse number eight. And a highway shall be there and a way and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. But it shall be for those, the wayfaring man, though fools shall not err therein. Amen. Glory of God. Didn't you hear God talking? Look at him identifying that way. Disclosing what that way is. Saying a highway shall be there and a way and it shall be called the way of holiness. People can, will come up with all kinds of different things. But what God actually refers to refers to the way God calls this walk. God calls it the way of holiness. Amen. Amen. And that's very important. That is very, very, very important to know. God calls it, God calls it the way of holiness. That's what it was. Why was Enoch translated? Because he was walking in holiness. What was Noah doing? that made his walk so perfect, it was holiness. Why was Abraham commanded to walk before the Lord and be perfect? What was God really telling him? He was telling him to be holy. That is what he was telling. It was that characteristic that was enticing to God. God had pleasure in it and God wanted that. God wants that holiness. Brothers and sisters, holiness, holiness 
is not optional. Holiness is, is not something that you can just decide to do when you want to. You got to be clean before God. You got to be right before God. You got to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. Not what other people are doing and not what other folks are calling you. No, 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 no. You've got to walk in a way that is going to please and glorify God. Amen. 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 Holiness. Godly goals, God-centered goals, if they're going to be achieved, they require holiness. Wow.